And open up your Bibles to First Timothy chapter four or Second Timothy chapter four, um, and just stay there. And we're going to get today underway. So over the last month, um, I've been uh, <laughs> finishing up my sabbatical that I started before COVID, um, and uh, during a sabbatical, there's a lot of things that 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 happen. A sabbatical is not a vacation. It, it tends to be thought of as a vacation, but it's not. A sabbatical is very intentional. There are things that you, you try to accomplish during that, and it's, it's, not, a, it's not just kind of lounging around. Um, that being said, rest is a good part of it. Now, during my sabbatical, um, there are a couple things that I did that, uh, that I'll share with you a little bit. I, I, I had the opportunity to um, finish up some projects at the house. Uh, we finally got the appliances we ordered seven months ago, which is awesome. Um, so we turned our kitchen from that to that, which was nice, right? Um, I played a lot of golf. Uh, well, not nearly as much as I wanted to because we had the wettest July since the 40s, which is awesome, just awesome. Uh, so I went out and played golf. So this is a picture of uh, me playing golf with uh, Kyle, Abel, and Dan. Uh, uh, none of them will let me know whose ball that is, uh, but it's okay. Uh, my memory eventually came back and I can walk now, so it all works out good. Um, so it was a ton of fun, uh, trying to get out there. Um, I started reading a few books, uh, for the series coming up on, uh, the dangers of, prog- of the progressive Christian mu- movement. That's what we're going to be talking about in two weeks, the week after the baptism. Uh, but mostly, uh, honestly, I tried to spend time alone. I tried to get away, away from, I tried. <laughs> It didn't, it didn't happen very often, um, but I tried to spend time alone, uh, which is a lot harder than most people think. Um, spending time in quiet reflection and thinking uh, and allowing my mind to, to decompress. Um, one of the more difficult things about being a pastor, it, it's, it's one of the things, you, you, you never understand it until you're there. And it's kind of, it's like that for any stressful situation. Some people think, you know, how hard could it, how hard could it be to be a nurse? Doctor tells you what to bring, you go get it and you just bring it, stick the needle in someone's arm. How, how hard could it possibly be? You have no clue until you're there. And like any other position, you have no clue until you're there. When I was growing up in ministry, watching pastors go through these things and them talking about being tired and difficult, and I was like, wah, get a real job. Uh, you know, I was very sympathetic. And then I got into the position, I realized I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot, because um, you have no clue what the what what the what the stress level is until you're there. But being a pastor, the toll that it takes on you isn't physical. It's very rarely physical. It's mostly emotional and spiritual. There's a there's a weight that that is, is placed on you in that, uh, and you don't actually feel it until you until it's on you. Um, for many people, uh, a pastor is someone who works one day a week for a couple hours. And they spend the rest of the week, you know, pretending to read and hanging out in the office and watching YouTube, right? Like that's, that's, that's the job. And it's not, it's not even close to that. Um, in fact, I actually don't know any pastors who look at Sunday as a work day. <laughs> I don't know any pastors who look at Sunday as a work day. Um, all I have to do is come to church and I get to speak. You know, it's, it's a pretty good day. It's nice and simple. Throughout the week, there's all kinds of other things going on. You juggle calls, counseling, meetings, personal studies, small groups, random questions, emails, social media. Oh, and if you're married, that's a good thing to try to work on too. 
one of the biggest reasons why ministers burn out is fatigue. And it's not physical fatigue. Uh, it's emotional fatigue. Um, it's what is usually referred to as being heart tired. Because uh, there's a lot of things that you carry that you don't actually have the ability to share with someone. None of the counseling sessions that I, that I deal with can be shared. None of the stuff that people bring to me can be shared. I don't share it with Samantha. It's not her mantle. It's not the weight she's been given to share. And it's private personal information. So you end up carrying that burden. And you see that burden interacting with other people throughout the community, throughout the church. And it can be very difficult to walk through. Uh, and over the last 18 months, <laughs> that's been fun, hasn't it? The last 18 months have been awesome. Um, we have all experienced this kind of heart-tired to one degree or another, some people more than others. Uh, and as a pastor, to be honest, last year was probably the most difficult year that I've had as a pastor. Um, and that's mostly because you're just along for the ride. There's very little that you can do about anything going on around you. You're just trying to hold and stitch things together, uh, and it can become very difficult. So one of the purposes of a sabbatical is to give your mind time to finish processing things. One of the reasons why you become mentally tired, if you're not aware of this, is that there's so much going on in your life, so much new information coming in, things you have to work through and think through that you don't get through in a day, and tomorrow it starts all over again. So yesterday's load is still working its way through your mind, while today new information is being processed. And sometimes you put stuff back, and you don't have time to get through it, and you have to get through this new thing. And then guess what? You go to bed, and tomorrow it happens again. So you have days and days of stacked up information. It's kind of, kind of like letting your computer run constantly without shutting it off. It runs slower because it's doing too many things behind the scenes. So one of the big reasons for a sabbatical and for being alone is to allow your mind to finish working through all of that stuff. And it can take, uh, when I, when I first, my first sabbatical, I was told, it's going to take you a month before you'll even start to relax. I was like, give me a break. Uh, no, that was completely dead accurate. <laughs> it takes that long, before, it just, just to get to the point where you can chew through these things. So it can become, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting process. Um, but over the last month, I spent a lot of time working through the last 18 months, specifically. That's where my, my heart was, that's where my burden was, uh, especially with everything going on in the, in the world. And what I want to do today is I want to share with you um, a burden that I have for today and for the days and weeks and months and years ahead some things that I see the church, not just us, but the church globally, that we're going to face. It's not a, this might happen. These are things we're going to face, and we can tell. All we have to do is look backwards. So we can see these things happening. And it's unfortunate how the last 18 months has taken a toll on the church globally and how many mistakes we've made and how we can avoid these mistakes moving forward. That's what I want to. I want to. I want to share that with you this morning. Um, I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers because I don't. Um, and by the way, neither do you. Neither does CNN, and neither does anybody else you listen to. None of us have all the answers. The very best thing that we can do is take a look at backwards at what we have done within a given situation. Good, bad, indifferent, 
and try to change ourselves so that when that happens again, we're better prepared for it down the road. Last year was a lot of new. A lot of first-time things happened last year, things that most of us never thought would happen in our lifetime. But they did. And so, in a big way, we weren't really prepared for it. Um, and looking down the road, I think there's a, a better way to do this. Um, things that are on the horizon. Now, I love looking at pictures of the Earth from space. I think they're, they're just mesmerizing. You know, this picture here is just, it's just phenomenal. Um, and my favorite part, believe it or not, isn't the planet and it's not space. It's that thin line that separates the two. It's the horizon. And my eyes are always drawn to that. That little, I mean, if you think about the size of our planet and the, 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 the density and the thickness of our atmosphere, when you start looking back at it from space, how much, how small it is and how little material is keeping us safe. How thin that is. But the cool part for me is watching the earth turn into the sunlight and seeing, seeing countries emerge from the darkness and wondering what's going on down there. What's going on in the life of the millions of people who are just going about their day? They're not, you know, they're not necessarily trying to accomplish anything profound. They're just going about their day. What's going on in these nations that, are, that were in darkness a few minutes ago and now all of a sudden they're in light? It's really, really neat to, to think about it. As Christians, the way we view the world that's around us is extremely important. What we see, how we view it, how we let it, how we let it impact us, and how we let ourselves impact it is immensely important to our faith, to our daily lives, to our families, to our marriages, to our work, everything. Everything we do is impacted by our view of the world around us. A couple questions to think about while we're thinking about the world that's around us and things going on today. Is our attention so locked into the moment that we sacrifice what's ahead? We're so stuck in the now that we don't have the ability to see the then. You think about this. Here's another way of asking that question. Are you so focused on life's momentary political issues that we've forgotten that we we represent the God of eternity? Are we so focused on the political problems of our country that we forgot that we're only temporary citizens of this nation? Our citizenship is so much more. And the, the citizenship that we offer other people is so much more valuable. Dude, we forget that. Are we so locked into this moment? We have to fix this. Do we? Do we have to fix it? Really? Or is there a different way to approach this? Or how about this one? Is your mind so stuck in the future that you lose the moment? Are you so look, are you so stuck on down the road that you can't pay attention to what's happening right now? Here's another way of thinking about this. Are you so focused on the 2022 election and winning a governmental majority that we've forgotten to pay attention to the lost and hurting people that God's putting in your path every day? 
is CRT being taught in the schools or the trans movement or BLM, vaccines or the looming return of mask mandates that we all know are coming. It's pretty obvious that they're coming. Are all of these things more important than the salvation of the soul through the forgiveness of sin, through the work of Christ on the cross? Have they taken a front seat to that? Because if they have, then our world is out of order. Our process is flawed. Because inevitably, these things are not that important. They are important, but they're not that important. Now, at the same time, with all the stuff going around in the world today, and all the stuff that we see coming down the road, we can't just bury our head in the sand. Just bury our head in the sand. Jesus will figure it out! We do have to do our part today, but we also have to remember that we have a part to play for tomorrow. So the things that we do today affect tomorrow. And they affect the next day and the day after that. Think of how many mistakes the church is paying for that are 100 years old. doesn't take a genius to see that there's a ripple effect to us not paying attention to our actions and our words and how they ripple across time. But God's word gives us everything we need to know and understand on how to deal with these situations. As we live this crazy life, we have to find some sort of balance. But in order for that balance to be right, true, and godly, there can be only one main thing in your life. When you're, Have you ever been in a place where it's just dark? It's not kind of dark. It's dark. You know, can't see the hand in front of your face kind of dark. Now, what happens when any amount of light turns on? You know, a firefly flickers in the corner. What, what do you do? We start moving towards that light. Because when everything else is around us, that small light is the thing that guides us. Gives you a little bit of hope. In our life, as Christians, as we're facing all of this nonsense... The light that we choose to use as our guide is unimaginably important. If the light that you use to guide your life is your Republican conservative philosophy, you're wrong. If the light that you use to guide your life is whether or not vaccines are going to be mandated, you're wrong. If the light that you use is your liberal ideology, you're wrong. If the light that you use is the gospel of Jesus Christ as spelled out in the word of God, handed down to man over the last 2,000 years, now available in almost every language around the world, that gives us the complete and total plan of God for our lives, for eternity, for every situation we could probably use, you're probably on the right track. There can only be one truth that guides all of your decision-making. And it's either going to be his word or man's word. But it cannot be both. And there's no fair trade between the two. I know what God's word says, but for now, this is what I got to do. No. No. It's not how it works. As believers, I can see two things that are going to become very, very important to our faith as and our gospel mission in the days and the months and the years ahead. First one is this. 
a life committed to the authority and the teachings of the word of God. Authority. Does the word of God have authority in your life? And not the word of God that you think a spirit is speaking to you. I've heard it said this, the word of God speaks in the spirit within. Okay. So let me step back from that. How does the written word of God tell you to judge the voice of the spirit within? From this. The voice of the spirit within, whatever it's speaking to you, we're told to judge it against the written word of God. Because the spirit in you can lie. Because sometimes the spirit in you is just your ego. Because the Holy Spirit will never contradict the written word of God. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if the Holy Spirit is telling you one thing, I know what the, what the Bible says, but the only but is yours, and it's big and in the way. So get your but out of the way and focus on the word of God. Because this is the only true guiding source that can have any influence in our life. It's the only thing that will never be wrong. We have a tendency of being wrong on a regular basis. I make a habit of it. Just ask Samantha several times a day. Whether I admit it or not, that's another story. A huge portion of the global church has begun to turn its back on the authority of the word of God. And I'm going to show you some of that in the next series. The next series, by the way, um, what did I I call it? Um, Unprogressive is the next series as we're dealing with this over this unbelievable trend in the church of progressivism. I'm going to show you where it comes from. I'm going to show you what it does, and we're going to compare it to the written word of God. And what you're going to see is it's not only completely spiritually void, it's spiritually bankrupt. And it's pulling tens of thousands of people away from the truth. And it's unfortunate. But that's the challenge we have in front of us. It's actually really hard to see so much of the church move away from the truth of God's word and into hyper-spiritualism, even Christian mysticism. It's happening. They won't believe the word on the page unless it agrees with the voice within. Isn't it funny how the Bible tells us to judge the spirit within by the word on the page? And there's a whole section of the church saying, you judge the word on the page by the spirit within. What a horrible place to be. What a horrible place to be. When you stand before God and say, God, I'm waiting to hear that term. He said, and he looks at you and he says, I never knew you. But, 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 I never knew you. I gave you everything you needed to follow me and you ignored all of it. Sorry. Second Timothy four, one through five tells us this. It says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearance, at his appearing and his kingdom. What are, what are those three words? Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Now listen to this. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth. What was, what would be the truth? The word that we're supposed to preach. 
and they will turn aside to, to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Do the work. Trust the Lord and fulfill your ministry. The second thing that I see coming down the road is to represent the Lord and the work of Christ to a lost world. Colossians three twelve through 17 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, that's talking about you, you're holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Didn't say, as Christ forgave you, you should seriously considering forgiving that other person. No, you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your heart, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. What was that again? Was the opinion of Christ? No, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is something that I can see has been missing to a large degree among Christians in the church for the last 18 months. And all the things that you do, remember you represent the Lord. And all the things that you say, and all the things that you do, and all the ways you stomp your feet, and all the ways you and you and do it, all the things that you do, you represent the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you like it or not. But that's not fair. You're right. It's not. Shut up. Do it anyway. Because it's not about you. It's about him. And it's about the message of salvation that he brings. I want you to think about this. I've had a lot of conversations with people in the church, not just ours, but all over the North Country. I've had a lot of conversations with pastors um, in our area and even outside of our area. It's been, it's been really fantastically eye-opening. But I want you to think about things that have happened over the last 18 months. I'm going to spell a couple of them out for you, and you tell me if this sounds familiar. The number of people globally, and I'm just talking about Christians, who have publicly criticized and walked away from the church. Notice I didn't say their faith. They walked away from the community of the church because the church obeyed the mandate to shut down or go remote. How dare you? Hebrews says, forsake not the gathering of the brethren. You can gather online. I just want to point that out. It's not the same, but you also don't accidentally kill Uncle Fester. You know? Shutting down wasn't a bad thing. I don't think it was a good thing, but it also wasn't a bad thing. It was a necessary thing. So we need to pull our heads out of the sand and start thinking about what we're doing and why we're doing it. 
But how about this? How about the number of people who publicly criticized and walked away from the church because the church did not obey the mandate to, to shut down or go remote? So you got this monstrous amount of people over here who left the church because the church, you just abandoned your missions, you shut down, you're just giving into the man. Then you got another whole group of people over here who's, I can't believe how much of a rebel you are. I can't believe how disruptive you are. You're putting people at risk. All this stuff is happening. I can't come back to a place who doesn't care about people this much. And in the middle, you got pastors going, I don't even know what I did. People hate you if you do. They hate you if you don't. It's kind of funny how angry people can get over decision they never have to make. The same thing goes with our governing, our, our government officials. They're making decisions you will never have to make. They have a weight on them you will never understand, and they have a responsibility you will never see. But boy, we love telling them how useless they are over a decision we don't understand, over information we don't have, because we don't trust the political party that they belong to. And the whole time we're standing up going, I'm mad and I'm a Christian. And by the way, here's the hundred reasons that you're wrong. Oh, and here's the reasons why I'm never going back to my church. Is that all it took? Is that really all the devil had to do was throw a disease out in the world for the church to lose its mind? It worked. It worked. Over the last 18 months, I personally have been called a coward, sellout. My favorite is an uncaring pastor. And the list goes on. I'm not the only one, folks. I'm not the only one. There's a whole bunch of people that I, that I connect with. We all have been going through the same thing. And I'm talking about people who went to, who did shut down and people who didn't. We've all been called the same things. Pastors all over the country tell the same story of people that they have walked with in difficult times, who they've stood side by side with when no one else would, completely walk away from them without a word because of a decision they didn't have to make. Think about that. It's happening all over the world. In some cases, they even viciously and publicly have turned on those, turned in on themselves. This is the church fighting against itself. I can't imagine how entertaining this is for the enemy of our soul, watching the church tear itself apart from the inside out. Here in the USA, there are about 300,000 Protestant churches, not including Catholic and other denominations. Protestant churches. In 2020... 4,500 of them closed permanently. 4,500 churches closed permanently in 2020. And according to surveys put out by various Christian news outlets, the estimation is that in the end of this year, 55,000 more churches will close. In two years, the estimation is that 60,000 churches, just Protestant churches, will close Because the people in the church got so frustrated with one another over the pandemic 
and all the political fallout that came with it, that they disintegrated. 60,000 churches. Stop and think about that for a second. How does that happen? Now, out of that 4,500 that left, 3,000 new churches have started. This always makes me laugh because this is how this happened. We're Baptists. We don't like the way you do communion. We're First Baptists. We don't like the way you do communion. We're Southern Baptists. We don't like the way they do communion. We're American Baptists. We don't like the way you do that. We're charismatic. We don't like the way you do that. We're Holy Spirit-filled charismatics. We don't like the way you do that either. By the way, we're Holy, Holy Spirit charismatic Pentecostal, whatever you want to call it. The Protestant church is the only, only global denomination that has over 35,000 registered named, basically denominational splits. Protestant churches. Because we don't like the way they do worship. We don't like the way they do communion. We don't like the way they do this. We don't like the way they allow women to, we don't like, especially women that speak in the church. Oh my gosh. Gail, how dare you get up and give a word from God this morning? female worship leaders? Courtney, you should be ashamed of yourself. Oh my goodness. Men should be the only ones doing, that, doing anything church, unless it's Sunday school. How idiotic do we have to get? The only, the only large-scale denomination around the world that, does, that has done that to itself. Now, whether we like it or not, this is the reality of the world that we live in today. This is the reality of the world that we live in today, the things that have happened over the last 18 months. We don't have to like it, but here we are. So now the question is really simple. What do we do now? What do we do now? (laughs) Anyone with half a brain can look on the horizon and see how much our governing bodies are going to be pushing new mandates and things in the fall. If it doesn't happen, I will be absolutely floored, but everything that I'm seeing is moving in that direction. What do we do? What are we going to say? How are we going to react? What's going to happen? Now, I can't tell you what to do at that time, but I can give you an idea of what the devil is doing because God spelled that out in his word. 1 Peter 5, 6-11 reads like this. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Cast, casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Now listen to this. Because your enemy, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We'll get back to that in a second. Resist him. Steadfast in your faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood, in the world. By the way, basically, you're not alone. But may the God of all grace, who called us into, uh, uh, to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Do you notice he says you're going to suffer for a while? We don't get out of this. We have to get through it. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, that word picture there, especially about the lion, is a very, very powerful one. And I think it fits absolutely perfectly with what's going on today and what's happening in the church today. When lions hunt, there's a very predictable pattern that happens. So a group of lions will find a herd. And they'll start sitting on the outskirts. 
They'll walk around. They'll make sure the rest of the herd sees them there. They're not attacking. They're just there. Hi, we're the ones that ate your friend. Where's Ed? He was slow last time. Where's that guy I clawed in the butt that just barely got away? Oh, there he is. Yeah, just want to let you know I was here. They walk around and they make, they, 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 they roar just randomly. And what happens is the herd isn't stupid. The herd sees that and they're like, okay, wandering around on the outside of everybody, probably not a good idea. So the herd begins to condense. They begin to tighten in. And that's what the lions are hoping is going is to happen. Now what happens is in that process, the lions can identify three groups of people, the young and the inexperienced, the weak and the infirm, and the strong ones. The strong ones will work their way to the outside and they'll turn their backs to the rest of the herd and they'll start watching the lions. They're paying attention. That's what the strong ones are doing. They're not reacting. They're just watching because they want to know where they're, they're not, they're not wondering how to fight. That's not on their mind. What they're wondering is what direction do I need to go in to keep the most, most of the herd safe? So when the attack comes and inevitably it comes, they take off and the lions are not trying to kill the herd. They like the herd. It's easy to find, and they're tasty. The lions are trying to get the herd running as fast as they can, scared, to protect itself because they know that the young and inexperienced don't know how to stay safe. The young and the inexperienced are usually the ones who think they're faster than everybody else, they're better than everybody else, and they peel off to the side thinking they, if I stay with the group, they're going to take me down. But if I go off here by myself, I'm probably going to be safer. I got news for you. When there's a lot of people running, I'm trying to get into the middle because these little legs, they don't go that fast. See, the smart ones pull into the middle to allow the strong ones on the outside to lead them to safety. So the lions are trying to get the, the young and the inexperienced to peel off, try to do it themselves. They're also trying to get the sick to fall behind because they know that in a panic, the herd will just leave the sick behind. It's true. And then it's just easy pickings. Dinner. Simple. So when the enemy prowls around us, they get on the outsides of things and they start knocking on the doors of our theology. They start knocking on the doors of our faith. They start knocking on the doors of the things that we hold separate and they let us know it's time to start being afraid. It might sound like this. We might force you to vaccinate your kids. It might sound like this. We're going to make you wear masks the rest of your life might sound like this. We're going to teach CRT in schools. We're going to force your kids, especially if they're white, to believe that they're racist. They start prowling around and making noise. You notice nothing has happened yet? All the stuff that everyone's freaking out about, nothing has happened yet? The lions are prowling around the pride. They're prowling around the herd, making noise, stomping their feet, trying to figure out who are the strong ones who are just going to watch from the outside and let them know Okay, I see you. 
I'm aware. I'm just going to wait so that I can protect other people when they panic. And they can find the young and inexperienced ones because they lose their mind. And they can find the sick ones and the infirm ones who don't have the strength to fight anymore. And they just go along to get along. See what happens? And then they step in. And this is what the devil does every single time. Every single time something like that happens, the devil gets on the outside, he starts causing a panic, and then he tries to step in, and he's trying to get some element of the church to peel off. Because you either don't know what you're doing, and you're not, 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 uh, uh, you haven't been a Christian long enough to learn how to trust God in these kinds of situations, or you're just tired of fighting, or there's no one around you who will protect you. We peel off. We peel off because we're scared or too, or, too, uh, or, or too young in our faith to know what we're doing. Or we peel off because our arrogance demands it. Because we're better off on our own. I don't need to stick with it. If I stick with the church, especially a church that teaches the Bible, people are going to look at me like this. I'm better off by myself. No, you're not. You're easy pickings. It gets simple at that point. Because now, it's just you. There's not people around you to protect you. Our enemy is no different than this. Listen to what that section in First Peter tells us to do in these situations. Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Cast our cares on him. Be sober-minded. Be vigilant. Resist him. Stay steadfast in the faith in the faith. Know that the same sufferings are being experienced by all the brotherhood around the world. There's nothing going on in our lives that isn't happening in the lives of other people. So find faith in that. That those who stand firm on the Word of God are going to experience that. They're experiencing that worldwide. Let's come together and support one another. Let's not peel off and get mad over things that make no difference. How in the world did this destroy so much of the church? How in the world did this cause so much trouble in our country? This? Seriously? This has got to be one of the biggest jokes the devil has ever played on the church. Here's here's something I can tell you. If you think you need to get the vaccine, get it. If you don't want to get it, don't get it. If you want to wear a mask, wear 10. If you don't want to wear a mask, don't. Guess what? Every one of your decisions has consequences. And God doesn't care which one you choice you make. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Get the shot, don't get the shot. It doesn't matter. It's about Jesus and eternity. Not this face diaper. We give the devil far too much credibility, far too much authority in our life over things that make no difference. I want you to think about a couple things and I'm going to let us go. Galatians 6, 2 says, we should bear one another's burdens. Ecclesiastes 4, 12 says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Romans 12, 16 says, live in harmony with one another. 
Ephesians 4.3 says, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. These are all directions to the church, folks. Not directions between the church and the, and the, and the Gentile world. These are all directions to the church. 2 Corinthians 13.11 says, Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. Psalm 131 verse 1 says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Do I need to keep going? I don't think I do. In the days ahead, the nonsense that we've experienced over the last 18 months is going to come back. It's going to come back with a lot of force. We know what the enemy does, and we know how the enemy is going to try to divide. We have to be smarter than we were. Now, I'm not criticizing that. I think we've done, we've done a fantastic job. I, re- I really do. I think the evidence is sitting here right now. But we need to be helping the rest of the church, too. We need to be helping our brothers and sisters who are sitting in, sitting in churches all around the area. It's not just about our little church. It's about the church and how we represent the gospel. It's all connected. So we don't criticize them. and We don't fight back when they criticize us. We do our best to live in peace. We let the government do whatever the heck it wants. They're going to anyway. Because it doesn't matter. Fight the fight that needs to be fought. Leave the rest to the Lord. Make sense? Don't let the enemy pull us away from each other. Nothing. It's been too easy for him last year. It's time for the church to stand up and fight. None of us fight alone. We all fight together.